Well, George Lill was a slave in 18th century Georgia. He came to know Christ. He was baptized. And his owner, a man named Henry Sharp, was a deacon at the Baptist church that Lil was a part of. And, and he released Lil and, and, and set him free so that he could pursue God's plan for his life. Well, Lil began preaching and he began to, to share the gospel with people. And under his preaching, people were being saved. Lives were being changed. And the church ordained him. He became the first ordained African-American preacher in, uh, in America. Uh, Sharp, however, his owner, uh, his former owner, I should say, had been killed in the Revolutionary War after he had set him free, and Sharp's descendants decided that they were going to try to re-enslave George Lill. And so he was put in jail, was there for a period of time, but he was able to produce required documents that enabled him to prove that he had indeed been set free. And so he was free once again, and he planted, he planted the first African-American Baptist church in America, a church that's still in operation today. Burdened for the people of Jamaica, he and his family would make their way to Jamaica, and they would serve in missions in Jamaica and have an incredible impact for the kingdom in Jamaica. Now, Henry Sharp had released George Lill, had set him free. From a biblical perspective, it was the right thing to do. Another human should never enslave another human, another human being made in the image of God. The very notion of slavery, uh, of, of shadow slavery like we see in, in our own past is, is a sinful notion working against all that we see in Scripture. So he did the right thing from the biblical perspective. He set him free. But think about how Sharp's descendants how they behaved when Henry Sharp died. They tried to find the slave and, and put him back into servitude. Now, Sharp had shown Lil kindness in setting him free. Again, just doing the right thing, but he had shown him a lot of kindness, but his descendants had rejected that kindness. How do you respond when God shows kindness to others? How do you respond when God shows kindness to someone that you regard as something of an enemy? Well, those are the questions that we're going to think about this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Jonah. We'll be in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, I want to invite you to take a pew Bible there in front of you. Turn to page 822. Again, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. As we've said all throughout this series, Jonah is the likely author of, of this book because it contains so much autobiographical details, though, though we don't know for sure. Many have argued that the book of Jonah can't be understood as real. It must be understood as allegory because they say the events are just too difficult to believe. Could a fish really swallow a person and the person remain alive after three days in the belly of this fish? Come on. But what these folks forget is that this is the God who created the whole universe. So if he wants a fish to be a, a habitable place for three days for a fellow, it can be. Because he works miracles. And so we believe, as the Bible presents the book of Jonah, that it's history. That it, that it occurred. That it happened. Now let's get up to date. Let's do a quick summary so that we know where we're at in today's passage. God called Jonah to go to preach to the people of Nineveh. This, they were a part of the, the Assyrians. as the capital city of the Assyrians. These were enemies of Israel. Jonah wanted no part in going to Nineveh. So instead of going to Nineveh to preach like God told him to, Jonah got on a boat and he headed 
in the opposite direction. Well, that boat faced an incredible storm, was about to sink. It was determined that it was facing that storm because of God's judgment against Jonah. Jonah was thrown overboard. He's sinking into the depths of the Mediterranean Sea. And suddenly this big fish swallows him. He's there for three days. The fish spits him up onto dry land. And guess what? God calls Jonah again. And guess what he tells him? You go to Nineveh and you preach the message that I give you. Now, guess what Jonah did? We talked about it last week. He went to Nineveh. He had learned a lesson. So he headed to Nineveh. He began to preach. And you know what? The people responded to his message. The people responded. They, they believed what, what God said and they began to repent. And now let's pick up in chapter 3, verse 10. God saw their actions or the actions of the people of Nineveh that they had turned away from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them and he did not do it. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious And compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? You see, because the people of Nineveh had repented, God relented. Jonah had said in 40 days, this city's going to be destroyed. But on day one, the people made a change. They began to cry out to God. They began to fast and they turned from their wicked ways and their evil ways. Now, as we talked about last week, God isn't fickle, changing his mind. Oh, he's going to do this and he's going to do that. Now he's going to change his mind. God's not like that at all. But, but in God's sovereignty, he has ordained that judgment can be avoided by, by repentance. In fact, in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8, we see this declaration. God says, at one moment, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However, if that nation about which I have made the announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do to it. And so God had displayed this kind of mercy to the people of Nineveh. How does Jonah respond Well, look in chapter 4, verse 1. If the reader had wondered, if we had said to ourselves in chapter 1 when God first called Jonah, I wonder why he's fleeing. We know now in chapter 4, there's no doubt about it. Jonah was furious that God had shown the people of Nineveh his mercy. He couldn't stand it. God turned out to be, as one commentator said it, everything that Jonah had feared. He turned out to be everything that Jonah had feared. You see, the realization that his own preaching was instrumental in God's mercy being shown to the people of Nineveh was too much for Jonah. He couldn't handle it. The idea that God could love the Assyrians was more than Jonah could bear. And in his anger, he calls out to God. He begins to pray. And he told God something like this, I was afraid this is what was going to happen. That's why I got away in the first place. I knew that you're a gracious, compassionate God who's slow to anger, who's abounding in love. I knew that about you. Now, Jonah was was 
referring to a, a creed from the Old Testament that's repeated over and over again. It, it occurs first in Exodus 34, verse 6. This idea that God is a forgiving God, that he's slow to anger, that he longs to show his love. Jonah knew these things were, were true of God, and God did just what Jonah feared. He showed mercy to those awful Assyrians, to those nasty Ninevites. It wasn't simply that Jonah couldn't stand the Ninevites. It is, as one author said it, Jonah couldn't stand the character of God. He couldn't bear that God would show mercy to people besides himself. He didn't like that about God. He didn't want God to be that kind of God, and he hated it. Now, in verse 3, Jonah said, I prefer death over this, God. Look at at his mindset. You know, most preachers would be thrilled if people responded to their messages in some way. Jonah had the people respond, but he's furious about it. Why? Because he hated the people of Nineveh. Because his heart was wrong. And so he says to God, I'd rather die than see your mercy be shown to the people of Nineveh. Death is better for me. Lord, take my life. So Jonah's furious. He asks God to die. How does the Lord respond? With a simple question. We see it in verse four. The Lord asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? God uses this rhetorical question to help Jonah see how sinful his attitude really is. How unjustified this foolish fit really is. It was fine for God to show Jonah mercy. Remember when Jonah was sinking into the depths of the Mediterranean Sea and we can read in chapter 2 how he began to experience the very sensation of death as he drowned? Oh, Jonah in chapter 2 is praising God for the great mercy that he was shown in this giant fish who rescued him from death. Oh, it was good for God to show Jonah mercy. But how dare God to show those people of Nineveh mercy? Those people. How dare him show those people? Now Jonah's steaming mad. But how inconsistent is Jonah? How inconsistent he is. Now Jonah said to God, let me die. And you know what? God didn't even answer that. It was such a ridiculous request. God didn't even respond to that foolishness. As we think about this passage, what does this passage teach us? It teaches us that we should rejoice in the mercy of God. We should rejoice in the mercy of God. In other words, we want to do the opposite of what Jonah did. Jonah hated the mercy of God, but we ought to rejoice in his mercy. We ought to be grateful for the mercy that we've been shown. And every one of us, whether we like to admit it or not, are the recipients of God's mercy in a thousand 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 ways we ought to rejoice and be grateful for that we ought to be grateful that we serve a God whose character is one of graciousness and compassion do we serve a God who's who's abounding in love yes a God who's holy and righteous that's why judgment was coming Nineveh's sin had reached a point that that it had to be judged but yes a God who longs to forego judgment, a God who longs to show mercy and compassion. That's the God that we serve. We should rejoice in the character of God, delight ourselves in the God that 
that has shown us such grace, such kindness. Now, last week we talked about a story that Jesus told. You, you know the story. This fellow whose younger son came to him and said, Hey, Dad, I want my share of the estate now. I want it now. His share of the estate would have been probably about a third. His father's not dead. Now think about what this feels like if you're his father. His father's not dead and the younger son comes and says, I want my share of the estate. So the younger son took the money and he ran. He ran off and he lived all kinds and all kinds of wild living. Finally, he hit the bottom and he came to his senses and he decided to go home and ask for forgiveness. And when he arrived, as we talked about last week, his father was beyond thrilled. His father threw the greatest party you can imagine, the greatest party you can think of. But this is where the story gets really interesting. While the father was rejoicing and celebrating with his younger son, well, this father's older son was furious. He was filled with anger. He resented his father's mercy toward his younger brother. And he told his dad, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him and that meant you threw a great feast for him? You see, from the perspective of this young man's older brother, the father had been way too generous with his mercy. Way too generous. How do you respond when you see God's mercy in action? How do you respond when you see his mercy at work in the lives of others? Maybe even people that you don't like? People that you would consider an enemy? Do you rejoice in a God who's merciful, in a God who shows compassion and who is gracious? Or do you resent God's work? Oh God, how could you? Look at all the things he's done. Look at all the things she's done. And then you let this happen. Are you like Jonah? Oh, it's fine, God, if you show me mercy. When I drop the ball, it's fine if you dust me off and help me keep going. But I don't want that to happen for him. I don't want that to happen for her. That's the way the older brother was. That's the way Jonah was. And they show us how not to be. They show us the kind of attitude that's, that's wrong, that dishonors God. So let's reflect on how these truths can guide our lives. First, while God longs for all people to be saved, forgiveness is reserved only for those who call out to God in faith and repentance. While God longs for all people to be saved, forgiveness is reserved only for those who call out to God in faith and repentance. You see, God cares for all people. We see his remarkable love for the people of Nineveh. But his compassion doesn't mean that all people are saved. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, God doesn't want any to perish, but the book of Jonah rejects a squishy, sentimental universalism that teaches that all people are saved. Universalism is taught in many churches today, After all, it sounds so sweet to say, you know what? No one faces the judgment of God. Everyone's saved. It sounds so sweet. The problem with it, it's not what the book teaches. 
It's not what the book teaches. You see, what Jonah teaches us is that to be made right with God, there must be repentance. One must turn away from sin and believe. We, we see that in the fact that God relents in bringing judgment upon the Ninevites when they believe and when they repent. You see, to be made right with God, you must turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. There's no other way. Acts 4.12 says it like this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we may be saved. Just the name of Jesus. We're made right with God when we put our faith in him. Next, God is a God of unthinkable mercy. God is a God of unthinkable mercy. His mercy is seen most lavishly, most clearly in the cross of Christ. You see, God placed punishment for our sin upon his own son. Jesus had never sinned. He lived on this earth a perfect life. And yet, Jesus was punished in our place. You see, when we turn to Jesus, he takes our sin and he gives us credit for the perfect life that he lived when he was on earth. He takes our sin and he gives us his perfect righteousness. And this makes us righteous not because we're good. None of us are good. None of us are. Every one of us is sinful. Not one of us has a right to be with God in heaven, to have a relationship with him. The only hope that you have when you stand before God, the only hope that I have when I stand before God is that the righteousness of Christ covers me. It's the only hope. So do you want to see the mercy of God on full display? Then look at the cross. Look into the weary eyes of the Son of God. Look at the drops of blood dripping from his body, those gashes on his back. Do you want to see the mercy of God? He did that that you might be saved. He did that that your sins might be wiped away. You see, God is a righteous God. He can't ignore sin. But God is a merciful God, a compassionate God, and he longs to forgive. This morning, would you reject the mercy of God? Would you say to God, you know what, I don't care that Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to live life my way. I'm going to do things my way. Or this morning, would you receive the mercy of God? Would you become a recipient of the grace that he offers? Would you call out to God and say, God, I'm turning from my sin. I'm repenting. And I'm putting my faith in the one who died on that cross, who was buried, and who came back to life. And I'm going to follow him. Oh, friend, if you do, you'll know the rich mercies of God. And you'll know them not just now, but you'll know them for all eternity. That's why Christ died. Oh, God is a God of unthinkable mercy. Next, recognize that sin has devastating effects in our lives. Sin has devastating effects in our lives. Look at Jonah. Look at Jonah's response. He's filled with anger. He's filled with despair. He even wants to die. Like he's at the point where he wishes that he could die. Literally, he's asking God, just kill me. Have you ever been there? You felt so low that the death would have been better, it felt? And maybe you've said to God, God, would you just let this all end? That's where Jonah was at. He was in that pit. But why was he there? Well, Jonah was there because he had nurtured sin in his heart. 
You see, Jonah's emotional pain was the result of his sinful heart. His emotional turmoil was because of the hatred that he held on to for the Assyrians. He held on to that hate so tight. He held on to that bitterness toward the Assyrians so tight that when God showed them mercy, he had rather be dead. Sin brought great pain in Jonah's heart. And much of our anxiety, much of our fear, much of our depression can be linked to our own sin. Of course, not all. Much can be linked to this to suffering and the heartaches of living in a Genesis 3 world. But an awful lot of the emotional turmoil that we experience can be seen in the choices that we've made to reject God and to do what we wanted. That was Jonah's experience. And frankly, it's many of ours. Drugs, they can give a a thrill. They can give a high. The escape can seem so worth it. Oh, I'll just, I'll just do this. It'll, it'll be so good, so great. But in the end, we know drugs harm. Drugs destroy. They trap people in paralyzing addictions. They destroy families. They devastate lives. And sin is like this. It may seem really good for a while. But in the end, the consequences are painful. And they're devastating. And Jonah tasted the depths of despair. And it was his own sin that took him there. And so much of our emotional pain has its roots in our sinful choices. Next, beware of a heart filled with hate. Beware of a heart filled with hate. Jonah's heart was filled with hatred for the Assyrians. After all, they were the enemies of Israel. Jonah's story teaches us that we should long for all people to be saved to know the mercy of God. We ought to hope that everyone could be saved, could know the mercy of God. It's sinful and wrong to have hatred toward others, even those who are our enemies. Jonah's hatred for the Assyrians reminds us of the sin of racism, of how evil it is to think, well, hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm of this race or I'm of that race and we're, we're just a little bit better than the other folks. No, no friend, you're made in the image of God just like he is, just like she is. The sin of racism, we see it. We see it in this story. We see it in our own lives and in our own culture sometimes. It's not honoring to God. It's sin. It's wrong. When we dislike someone or we look down upon someone or we let our anger build towards someone, we are nurturing thoughts and attitudes of sin in our hearts. Have you ever let your anger consume you? Maybe you've grown bitter toward an enemy. Oh, you can list a mile long all the things they've done against you. They've done this and they've done that. Man, he did this and he did that. She this, she that. Well, you could just make the list. Friend, that's a dangerous place to be when your heart is filled with bitterness and yes, hatred toward this person or that person. It's sinful. If God can forgive you and me, and all of the unbelievable sins that we've committed, then, friend, God can forgive your enemy. He can. Oh, surely we must long to see others know the grace and the mercy of God. 
Surely if we have experienced them, we want even our enemies to know his mercy. For we were an enemy of God and yet he forgave us. We were an enemy of God and yet he showed us mercy. We too ought to extend that to others. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So how do we respond to our our enemies? We love them. We pray for them. Some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, love those Muslim extremists? They're set on killing us. How could we love them? Well, we ought to pray for their salvation and we ought to long for their redemption. If God can save you, he can save me. He can save them. Now, does that mean that a person can't act in self-defense? No, we see, we're not gonna spend much time here, but we see in Exodus 22 too, there's a, there's a right place for, for self-defense. Does it mean that a nation can't act to protect itself? No, we know from Romans 13 verses one through four that, that, a, that a sovereign nation may act to, to protect itself in certain situations. So don't let your heart be ruled by anger, by bitterness, by hate. When you do, you look a lot like Jonah, but you look nothing, absolutely nothing like Jesus. Don't let your heart be ruled by bitterness and anger and hate, friend. You look a lot like Jonah, but nothing like the Savior, our Lord. Imagine a beautiful jar, absolutely beautiful, but inside that jar is filled with deadly poison. And that can be our lives if we're not careful. On the outside, we can look like everything's good, all smiles. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. But on the inside, be filled with deadly poison. In the inside, be filled with anger and hatred and bitterness. It was Jonah's story. Is it yours? Friend, it's not where God wants us to be. Next, share the mercy of God. What better way to rejoice in his mercy than to tell other people and to share it with other people? Jonah has set an example of what not to do. He hated sharing God's mercy, and yet we ought to be thrilled to tell others about the mercy of God and how they can be saved in Christ. Now, if you're really excited about something, you always talk about it. Hey, guess what? I got engaged. She said yes. Can you believe it? Hey, I got a new job. We're expecting those kinds of things we're so eager to announce because we're so thrilled and excited about them. We need to be thrilled and excited about God's mercy. We need to be willing to tell others and to share with others. So share the mercy of God with others. Share his wonderful mercy. I read the story of of R.C. Sproul. Many of you will recognize that name, Uh, Great preacher, great teacher, gone on to be with the Lord now. But he was teaching a class to first-year college students. On the first day of class, Sproul warned the 250 students that he had that he would not accept late papers unless there was some medical issue. Otherwise, they would receive a failing grade if they tried to turn papers in late. He said, you have three papers to turn in. One, the last day of each month, September, October, and November. And he said to them, there'll be no exceptions beyond medical issues. As September wrapped up, 225 students turned in their papers. 25 students came to Sproul and pleaded with them for mercy. They told Dr. Sproul, look, we're having difficulty making the adjustment, adjustment from high school to college. Can you show us mercy? And you know what? He heard their pleas and he granted them mercy. 
When October came to a close, 200 students turned in their papers, but there were 50 students who didn't. These students came to to the professor and said to him, Sir, this past weekend was homecoming weekend, and things got crazy. Some of you teachers are are probably smiling a bit. You've heard some of this. And, And they said, we just couldn't get it done. And Sproul said to them, I will show you mercy, but there will be no mercy after today. No mercy. So the end of November came, The final paper was due, and of the 250 students that Sproul had, 100 turned in their papers. The other students said, we'll get them to you soon, we promise. And Sproul looked at them and said, don't worry about it. You're getting an F. And then the students began to to, to say, wait a minute, this is unfair because you let these folks turn their paper in late, and then these folks turn their paper in late, and and now you're saying, we're going to get an F? And he said, justice is that I go back and give you an F every time that you turn your papers in late. I'm only giving you an F this third time. And reflecting upon this, Sproul said, I told you there would be no mercy. There'd be no excuse, no show, no demonstration of mercy. And he said, the students had taken his mercy for granted. That when judgment came, they were unprepared and they were outraged. Now, friends, God is right. He's right to judge our sin as he so chooses. He's holy. He's righteous. He's the creator. And he has shown us an unbelievable mercy. And so we should respond to his mercy with repentance, with changed hearts. We should respond to his mercy with rejoicing. But so often we take his mercy for granted. We resent his mercy toward others, and yet we ought to rejoice. We ought to celebrate his mercy. So this morning, when you see God's work of mercy in your life and the life of another, yes, even in your enemy's life, won't you rejoice that you serve a God who's merciful, a God who's kind, who's compassionate, who's long-suffering? Won't you rejoice in the character of God? If you're a Christian, This morning I ask you, how do you respond to the mercy of God? How do you handle it when he shows his compassion to another? How do you handle it when when he shows his mercy to an enemy? One of the best ways that we can handle God's demonstration of mercy is to spend a moment and praise him. It's to lift his name up. So I encourage you to do that. Another great way is to tell somebody about his mercy. This morning, I want to ask you, if you're a believer, who could you tell about the mercy of God? Who is it that God has placed in your life that you could say, you know what, I need to tell you something that's so important, something that's made all the difference in my own life. I want to tell you about how God has shown me mercy. Who could that person be in your life? This morning, would you think of that person? In just a moment, we stand to sing. I want to ask you, if you're a believer, to pray and to say to God, put a person on my heart that I can share your mercy with. What greater way to rejoice in his mercy than to tell somebody, than to share his mercy with another. And finally, if you're a believer and you're holding on to bitterness and anger towards someone, would you ask God to help you change? Would you ask him to help you to have a new heart? 
Now, a moment ago, I mentioned those college students who had taken their professor's mercy for granted. And I want to say, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you may be taking God's mercy for granted. You may be saying to yourself, everything will be fine. It'll be fine. But if you don't know Jesus, it won't be fine. It won't be. God's mercy is shown. It's demonstrated to those who would call out to Jesus in faith. And so I ask you today, if you don't know him, would you say to Jesus, I'm turning from my sin and I believe in you. I'm following you. And if you do, you're going to know God's sweet mercies and you're going to know them for all eternity. Friend, today, do not reject the mercies of God. Do not take the mercy of God for granted. It will not endure forever. Join me in prayer.